welcome to another episode of What If with me, Lorraine. And me, Rosie. And we've got a smashing guest today. Larry Lamb. How oh. are you? It's so well, good to see bad. you. Well, no, well we, we know you from so many things, so, so many things. I, I guess EastEnders and Gavin and Stacey is what everybody remembers. But we, we wanted to talk to you about, I mean, you've had such an interesting life. You said that your childhood was like a war zone. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Uh, my mum and dad met at a party on New Year's Eve. Right. Went down the park just to show each other how much they liked each other. And nine months to the day later, I was born. Oh. During which time they discovered they actually hated each other. Oh, geez. And they'd been made to get married. And then I arrived. Right. right? That was the war zone. Uh. And they spent nine years basically trying to kill each other. Really? Yeah, with me and then my younger brother and then my younger sister sort of all caught up in it. Jeez. And because I was the eldest, I was standing in the middle trying to keep them apart. And uh, it's interesting, to this day, I can be with people. I remember being with an old friend and we drew, we would, a, a mate of mine, we'd stopped off to meet some friends of his in the country. He had to do, you know, drop something off. Or say. So we're driving away. I said, it's not going well between those two. And he, he almost stopped the car. It was like, how do you know that? I said, I can smell it a mile off. Wow. wow. You can tell. I know, I know when it's all going wonky with people. I just can tell it. I lived, the, it, it was my life. God. Does that mean you're somebody that sort of keeps the peace? Can you do I, that? Did you have to do that? I, I tended, I tend to try and do that. I tend to try and avoid any of that sort of thing, you know, and I'm not happy around it. I can, another, another strange episode of my life and a whole different series of everybody, family and everything else that was involved, I was involved with then. And there, there were a couple of people, a couple, and they were having a terrible time and we kept having to be around them. And I just said, look, you know, I, I've got to be honest. I don't like being around this, and if I can if I can avoid it, I'm going to avoid it. So please, you know, can we get this so this doesn't happen anymore? Mm. So yeah, I, it makes me feel very uneasy. And of course, the thing is, I see it from the point of view of a child, and 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 that's really all I'm worried about. If grown ups want to batter each other to death, that's their business, right? But if you've got kids involved, as I was involved, apart from anything else, you know, it's the biggest embarrassment a child can live through is when these two parts of their world are smashing everything to pieces. There's nothing more embarrassing. It's like, please, just don't do this. It's terrible. And was... Um school and sort of acting was that a bit of an escape from it all acting or? was nothing to do with my life no. at all nothing acting was a sheer pure fluke that came right out of nowhere <laughs> i was always, i was very fortunate i was a very bright boy and back in those days when you were 11 you took the 11 plus and yeah. you could get a scholarship to a good grammar school and i did i was very bright and, you know, all destined to go to university and everything else. But this mess that I was in, this emotional rubbish dump that I was involved in, it just, I just spent no time thinking about school. All I wanted to do was get away from it. And the first thing that meant doing was making enough money to have a separate life. So I was always... I worked, I had jobs, I had three jobs on the go when I was at school. And of course, I paid no attention to schoolwork, but I always had money in my pocket. And the money meant I could buy clothes, the money meant I could 
I could get myself a driver's license, which I just instinctively knew was going to be important. And and by the time I was 20, that was it. I was I'd already left home three years before. But, you know, 20, I was gone. I left this country. I thought I'm never going back to that lot ever again. And that was it. I ran. And where did you go? I went to Germany. Germany in 1968 was uh, still an occupied country after, you know, the Second World War. Germany was divided up amongst all the Allied forces. So the Russians took the East and then the, the Canadians, the French, the English and the Americans, British and the Americans, excuse me, um, <laughs> uh, they, they all divided up the rest. And so what the Americans had a million people in Germany. And so it was a huge a huge econ economic drain on their on their finances and so they tried to keep the spending of that million people enclosed in its own little economy and so they had salesmen selling everything to them they had cars they had shoes they had clothes they had pots and pans they had everything there so different companies were selling to them and they used to come to london to hire english speaking people to, to be salesmen and every year different companies will come over and have a big drive and you'd read some little ad in the paper and because I'd done French, French was the only thing I could do at school and then I, because of where I was working bef before I got into that business, my, my I worked for my uncle and his company had a, had a business in Germany so I went and studied German and so I had a smattering of German and I was looking for a job so I could get on the run and I saw this little job advertised to, in Germany and you didn't need any qualifications, which was good because I didn't have any. <laughs> and um, and so I went along and, you know, met these people and had this extraordinary chat with them. And in the end, they hired me. And so off I went to Germany. That was the beginning of my life. That was it. That's where it started, on that plane and flying to Frankfurt. My life started then. Wow. See, I think that's really brave to, to, to leave your country. Rosie did it. You went to Singapore. When you yeah. Not that much older. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you, yeah. you did that. And I don't think you can underestimate how much gumption that takes to do that. You know, it's it's re mm. it's it's hard. You know, it's it, it depends what you're running from. That's it was, true. Well, I'll tell you what, it was. It was yeah. I'd have swam. I'd have, <laughs> forget it. I mean, I knew wow. this was not the life that I wanted. And I didn't know what life I did want, but I knew it had to be better than this wherever it was. And there's a good chance that by going into another world. And of course, that was that it was literally it, you know, to be to find yourself in an American world, albeit in Germany. Yeah. And I was able to communicate because there was, was a load of other. It was like about 20 or 30 of us over there, you know, all these guys all about 20, 25, whatever. I, I think I was the only one that spoke more than a word of German in there. So I became like the interpreter. And it was a totally new life for me. I had no ties to anything at all. There I was. And I, I remember... The first night I arrived, I flew to Frankfurt and then got on the bus and went to Wiesbaden, which is a beautiful spa city not far on the River Main. In, in there, they had a very, very weird little old pension where everybody stayed. I mean, literally concrete floors, these were, like a sort of a worker's hotel, you know, with bathrooms and showers along the corridor or whatever. And I thought, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and find where all these guys are. And then I thought, you know what? This is your first night of a new life. You don't need to do that. Just go and have a walk around the streets. Mm. And I did. I just went and had a wander around the streets. I knew I was going to see them all the next day when we started work on a Monday. And I just went and sort of enjoyed having a new life. 
And what was the next Incredible. step then? It's, it's amazing, yeah. isn't it? So what happened? How did you go from that to now? Well, being... I tell you, easy, easy. I was hopeless at selling. Okay. Absolutely hopeless. I could. All I did was I was making. I was learning all these accents because we had Americans from all over America, every different accent from every different corner, which I found was so fascinating because they were all you know different. Totally, like they're different. You're just talking to people from Georgia, and you're talking to people from Portland, Oregon. You know, it's like from different worlds, right? And that was what was really I was just grooving on it, but not able to sell anything. I was hopeless. I made a little bit of money, and then they put me with some different people there to look after me, as it were. This was a sort of a smaller operation, and I was stationed in Frankfurt, and I, they put me there with this older guy. He was about thirty-four. I was twenty one and um, he was kind of my manager as it were but and he took me under his wing and he was showing me around he took me you know we'd take me to restaurants and taught me that you don't put your arms out and yawn when you're sitting in a restaurant and you know <laughs> you just, I mean raw absolutely <laughs> raw we went off on an adventure one afternoon and we finished up in a hotel and the hotel was a, a sort of bachelor officers quarters for all sorts of Americans that were working in administration there were nurses and doctors and 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 civil servants that worked for the air force there because Wiesbaden was the was the headquarters of the American air force in Europe and so massive massive and very you know like it's the wealthy service is the air force so this hotel there was where the officers all lived it was wonderful and they all did little flats there we walked in we weren't supposed to be there but there was a big notice board <laughs> in the entranceway and it was saying captain chuck so-and-so has discovered that he's got this family here and they've also they've looked into it and he is part owner in a ruined castle along the river about 50 miles from here so we've decided to have a party so bring a sleeping bag Bring a bottle, and we're going to have a big cookout and a big, like a big suit. So we thought, well, we'll go there. So anyway, <laughs> car long story short, I finished up on the crumbling tower of this castle, which must have been at least, must have been a hundred foot above the best, the rest of the castle. And I spent the whole night desperately trying to have my terrible way with this rather lovely American lady who was a lot older than me, and she was having none of it. <laughs> I found out later she was actually madly in love with the German pilot. It was a hopeless situation which she never really got over but because we became friends. And at a certain point, you know, that it wasn't that, it was sort of in the day or two, she invited me to come and meet all her buddies. She was like, you know, hands off, Buster, right, you know. <laughs> and uh, so she said, you know, this, you should be an actor. Really? No so it was her? Literally. Gosh, what if you hadn't know, met that I lady? Know, I know. You should be an actor. And it was like, oh, really? And she said, yeah. Have you ever thought? I said, no, no, no. She said, I'm going to take you. And, of course, it was all so well organised that on every one of these big bases, they would have really well organised amateur theatre. Right. Mm which would entertain the troops and it gave all the a lot, a lot of people that come, you know, they were avoid. A lot of people that were doing a long service in the American army at that time in Europe were avoiding Vietnam. Mm. So instead of getting called up for two years, you signed up for four years and they could take you where you wanted to go. And they were all over the world. So all these people were in, in the, and, and a lot of them had done theatre. So the theatre was a popular, a popular hobby. Right. And um, so she took me along, introduced me to it and, 
And so I was I, I got to know about something and I was just making a move to the north of Germany. So as soon as I got up there, I went and spoke in this place and spoke to the boss of the, their little theatre. I said, Look, I, I'll do anything. I'd just like to get involved. He said, OK, right. He said, well, we're doing a production and uh, we need somebody to do the sound. I said, oh, I don't know about it. He said, he said, very simple. You're sitting in a little booth and you've got a little record player. He said, and there's a light there, one red, one green. He said, when, when, it goes, when it goes green, you pick the arm of the record player up and when it goes red, you put it back down. <laughs> then it goes green again, it goes red again. You do that and that's the sound. And so, so, of course, I was a huge success. I was launched. I was on my way, you know. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, he had me in for another meeting. And he said, look, we've got a, a local star here. He's a senior teacher at the American High School. And uh, I'm producing and directing um, what's going to be the first production ever of the play A Man for All Seasons. Oh, wow. In Germany. We're going to be doing it here at the American Theatre. And um, I have found on the base, a, a he's a warrant officer in the American Navy, and he looks just like Paul. Um, he looks just like Paul. Um, I want to say, but it's not Paul Muni. It's, um, it, what's it? Um, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, Isn't oh, it terrible? I know exactly who you mean, because yeah. it was about, obviously, yeah. Thomas Moore. And, and yeah, exactly. He, he, Anyway, it'll come to you. If you keep will. talking, it will, yeah, come, it will yeah, come to you. Yeah, uh, you hope. Well, we can look it up anyway. <laughs> man for all season, the movie. You can oh, look it okay. up. Can, man for all season, the yes. movie. The man that played the, the play. It's disgraceful. The most extraordinary actor. It's oh, not, I keep thinking of Paul Muni, but that's an earlier that's, generation yes, of somebody yes, like very that. Much so. And anyway, so it had been such a success that it had become a movie and I'd seen the movie. Mm. And so he said to me, I really upset our local star because he assumed he was going to be playing Sir Thomas More. Ah, like Paul Schofield. Paul Schofield. And he said, the lead actor said, well, am I not playing Sir Thomas More? And he said, no, you're not. He said, I found somebody on the base who's going to be playing Sir Thomas More. He's done a lot of theatre at university. And so I'm um, going to offer you the part of Henry VIII. And the guy said, I don't play supporting roles. <gasps> no. And he said to me, the director said, do you think you could play Henry VIII? He said, yeah, look, here's the script. Just read a bit of it with me. So, of course, I'd seen Robert Shaw play yes, in the film. And it's a great role. Because really the whole, it's about the conscience of Sir Thomas More, but the play's actually about Henry VIII wanting a divorce from, from Catherine of Aragon. Mm. And so I just pretended I, I, was, I was Robert Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> no ceremony, Thomas, no ceremony. <laughs> we were out, we were on the river. So I just did, you know, did Robert Shaw for him and got the part and that's the first part I ever played. How if that guy hadn't backed out, you wouldn't have I know. done it, I guess. All these that's what, crazy. All these what-ifs. I know, what-ifs. What and did you know when you did that and then the, the, you know, the, the applause of the audience and did you just think, right, that's it, that's what I want to do? No. No! I was so terrified, oh. I almost ran away. I, like, my knees were knocking so hard and, of course, I had tights and boots and everything else on and a sort of a skirted, oh, yeah. skirted a thing and the knees and the knees the knees were going <laughs> do you know what I'm, do you know what my mate that was in the play with me he sent me some photos of this because I have no I have no photos from most of my life do you know that really mm. yeah it's really weird now nowadays you accept everybody's got photos from no photos of my teens whatsoever they do not exist right 
Oh, it's a sheet. Because it's a a middle-class thing setting up photos. Back then, I only knew one person in the world that had a a camera. It was my uncle. And he was Mm. on the way to be a middle class. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, we didn't, you know, they went on holidays to Spain. Like, oh, you know, right. They were posh. Like, it was like, oh, they, they were posh. posh. They weren't posh. They, 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 they were aspiring posh, to They were certainly a lot posher than we were. <laughs> I tell you, we were lucky to get a week at Dover Court. But, um, but no, not them. Oh, here we go. Let me see. <laughs> No, that's no. Fantastic. You look good. Look at the legs, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, well, you should have seen the first night. They were literally like going like a pair of castanets. <laughs> it was insane. And it was so embarrassing because I, 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 you know, it was like boom, 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 boom. And then with those great big sleeves uh, in, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, that big coat there, I turned around and managed to gather up the arm of the big chair I was sitting on and walked up the steps with it like, oh, God damn it. I said, it was like, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I liked all the rehearsals and everything else and going out for a drink afterwards and having a party and all of that. But as soon as that audience got in there, that was a different thing. Yeah. Very nervous. Still? No. Good. It took me 30 years on stage. I'm talking like like, stage and it's two different things. It's like, you know, Mm. tightrope walking, Tightrope walking with a safety net and tightrope walking without a safety net. I'm all right with that with a safety net, but without the safety net, when you're you know, you're going out on stage, it took me 30 years to where I felt really confident on stage. Wow. 30 years. Gosh. And first telly, first telly, first movie? What was the first time that you were in front of a camera then? Can you remember? The very first time I was actually in front of a camera was a funny little film. I don't know what it was. It was for television or something in Canada. So I actually did something there. But the first thing I did, really, because the, the, my whole career was all this funny, this this weird thing. It all started, you know, I was started doing it in Germany. I then, through various reasons, I finished up in the oil business and working in Libya, North Africa. Good grief. <laughs> And they and they had a, another sort of American-based business town there. And, of course, they had a drama group because there was thousands of Brits mm. there. I became part of the drama group. So I did acting there. And then I, I went to um, – I emigrated to America. And I didn't do any in America. I was on the road all the time. I never mm. settled down anywhere. Then I moved to Nova Scotia in Canada. And in Nova Scotia, I was driving through a blizzard one night and had to pull off the road and just sit it out. And there was a thing on the local radio because that was like in places like that, you only pick up local radio. There's nothing else. You can't pick up anything other than it's like it's crackling. It comes through and it was a local radio station in Antigonish, and um, <laughs> which is a little Highland Celtic outpost, in, yeah. a Gallic outpost in Nova Scotia. With ever be Highland Games and all the rest of it there, you know. I'd love that. Oh, oh. it is. Oh, you would. You would <laughs> love Nova Scotia. I can't wait. Like, Sounds brilliant. Like for, for paddies and jocks, I tell you, <laughs> Nova Scotia, what's happened over the course of 300 years, they've mixed together. So they've got this really, like, the spookiest sense of humour. Ten years ago, I wrote, well, more than ten years now, 12 years, 12, 13 years, I wrote an autobiography, and I knew that one of the things I had to do was go back to Nova Scotia. So anyway, I'm I'm thinking about who I'm going to contact there, and and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call Owen McNeil. So I I went and found this old file of facts that had been lying around in a cupboard, and I I know where it's going to be. So I opened the file of facts, and I thought, there's going to be in blue ink, it's going to be down the left-hand side of the page down there, like, and sure enough, there it was, all sitting there, and the numbers on it. So I picked the phone up, and I've, I just phoned, phoned the number. 
Hello? Owen? Yeah! Uh, Owen McNeil, yeah! I said, Owen, it's Larry Lamb. Larry Lamb! <laughs> Larry! Lord Jesus! 30 years! Why'd you keep bothering me? That's <laughs> <laughs> ah, great. And that was it. And I was back. Oh, that fantastic. was it. Just like that, 30 mm. years. Wow. And, and you said you were driving through a storm. And I was driving heard, through a storm. And you heard... And, I, and, I, and so I, I, I sat by the side. Of the road yeah. It was too dangerous to drive. And the local radio came through. And it was a little, a little ad on behalf of, of, the, of the, uh, St. Francis Xavier University in Antigonish. And they were trying to encourage people from the community to join in their productions so they weren't reliant on staff and students all the time. They wanted to build up. And I just went along there and told them I'd done a bit. And the next thing I know, I was playing Richard in A Lion in Winter, you know. Sick, yeah. Then I played Jason in Medea. So all these wonderful roles you get to play when you're... Fantastic. Yeah. And then, and then of course, like why well, the story went on and all of a sudden somebody told me that the local rep company in Halifax, the capital of Nova Scotia, they'd advertised they wanted sort of like little walk-ons and bit part people um, and they were auditioning. And I decided I was going to go and then I got talked out of it and I chickened out. And then I'd already decided to split from the job that I was doing. I'd had enough, you know, I was making loads of money and I couldn't go anywhere. I was tied completely to the company. And um, and so I'd, I'd, I'd handed my notice in and I was just going to make a big move. I was going to go back down to America and, and see what happened, you know. And I was going to have an adventure. And anyway, as a matter of course, I was saying goodbye to all the all the heads of the departments of the company we were working for, we were contracting to. And I took this guy out for lunch just to say goodbye and thanks to him. And he parked his car on a meter right outside that theatre where the auditions were going on. I thought they're all going on in there. That's it. Like, mm. I've got it. So, and so I said goodbye to him. I ran down the road. There was a little shopping centre. There was a phone booth there. I phoned the theatre and I said, look, you know, I had been thinking about, you know, like trying to get an audition. And uh, and she said, where are you? I said, well, I'm not. She said, can you get here in five minutes? I said, yeah. She said, right. She said, somebody's dropped out. Get here. And that was it. Next minute, I'm sitting in front of these three guys. One of them was the, the man that was running that theatre. The other one was the guy that was running the Shakespeare Festival in Stratford, Ontario. And they were all sitting in on the local auditions. To, they were making up a company for the, the Shakespeare Festival. And um, so I auditioned for them. And basically, you know, I, I walked out of there and... They, they, that was it. That was it. That's. Just, I mean, what if it had been a well, really nice evening? You wouldn't yeah, have heard yeah, that. You wouldn't yeah. have stopped and heard that. Mm, yeah. Or he hadn't. You hadn't gone for lunch without failing. Oh, if he had if he hadn't parked yeah, his car yeah. outside there, <laughs> I'd have probably just gone on get in my car and like. Jeez. I don't know though. You never know. You never yeah. know. You never know. You never what know. if? And you never know. That's very <laughs> true. That's very That's very it. true. From them, you just kept working, solidly working, and shows that are so beloved, you know, know. so, so many shows. But how did you go from the theatre in Canada to TV? 
and films. Basically, and to, films. Cut, to, cut, to cut a long story short, right, so I, I, I did this audition in Halifax. Mm-hmm. I got in the company there. The guy that was running the start in the company in Stratford, Ontario, Robin Phillips, saw me and hired me to go there. So I went up there and I was in the Shakespeare Festival for that. That was 75. Went back to Nova Scotia for that winter and then got asked back there to that company again. And at the end of that season, 76, I got, it's a long and circuitous route, but I got an audition in New York to be in a production of a play which had been a huge success in London. And then, on, you know, uh, it, it started in Nottingham and it went to London, it went to the National, it was in the West End, mm. and it was called Comedians by Trevor Griffiths. And it was about comedy. It was about blokes learning to be comedians at night school. Like the whole comedy scene the way it is now was, it just didn't exist, you know. Mm. It was all in the north, in the north of Britain, there was a comedy circuit. But it wasn't like now. And so these guys are all would-be, wannabe comedians, and there's like six or seven of you. And this was a huge production in New York, um, being directed by Mike Nichols. And so I went to New York, and I got this part in this play. And, uh, you know, and it was weird because they were determined that everybody, that they were all Brits and they had all American actors, right? So and they were all regional. You know, there's like a little Mancunian guy. Sammy Samuels and so did David Margulies, this American character actor. He'd gone, he'd come to England and learn how to do a Mancunian accent. There were these two other actors, John Lithgow was one of them, and in they would they were doing Manchester as well. And then there was an Irish guy in it, a Southern Irish, and this is the way within the play, the politic of it worked. There was a Southern Irishman and there was a Northern Irishman. And the Northern Irishman was a guy called George McBrain and he was a Belfast docker who rather fancied himself as Frank Carson, you know, the way they tell him oh, like that. Yes, yes. And so they they needed somebody to talk with a, a Northern Irish accent in there and they couldn't <laughs> find anybody. And I blundered in there and I got the gig, right? Yeah. So... And then Jeremy Brett had become a big friend in. in oh, I loved in, him yeah. and Sherlock Holmes. And he was in the company. Oh, he, was he, was in, he was in the company in Stratford, Ontario. Right. And he said to me, you know, he said, I think you'd be really much better off if you went to London. And of course, that was it. Really, that's all I needed. And, and I came to London, and um, and it was just at the right time. There was all sorts of stuff mm. going on, and working staff working class TV series, you know, a bit gangstery. So if you're, a, you know, tall and you're a bit rough, like, you know, <laughs> which I'm not, you know, I'm no. like a pussycat, really. <laughs> but you played um, a lot so, of baddies. That's it, you, you yeah. did play a lot well, of baddies. Yeah, a, 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 quite a few, yeah. yeah. But so that's how it all happened, really. It's amazing, it was just luck, it? Yeah. being in the right place at the right time, having a modicum of talent and being lucky, man. Hmm. Anybody who don't, it's like, it's luck, man. It's luck, it's luck, it's luck. You can be, you say no to a little job for some reason. No, I, can't, I don't really want to do that. I've really got this big, important family wedding. And I'm, and what you don't know is the guy that was doing this funny little job next year has turned into the biggest director in the business. And right. he never got to know you. And a lot of the business is about working with people because you know you get on with them, you know. Mm. You know they can act or whatever, but there's loads of people who are good you know it's very the standard of talent is very high and it's a lot about personality to personality you know yeah and seeing the script as well I mean when you got the script for Gavin and Stacey did you know 
because did you know? Because I mean, it's it's a, it's been it's the biggest show on TV. Yeah, it mate. was the biggest show that Christmas special. Yeah, but we loved that. I mean, it was just it was perfect, and the expectation was so huge. You know, really, it, they did a remarkable job. Yeah, well, all that's of you, the, that's all the of problem you. with it. You know, they'd set the bar so, so high, high themselves mm. that yeah. it was like when they've all they were always worried about it. Every time they did another one, it was oh god, we're just laying ourselves open because people can turn. They can, you know, people can say, mm, not as good as the last one. And that's all you need, crash, bang, wallop. And so they really, you know, they took a big punt on that. Mm. But when we, as invariably happens, you know, you get the job, you do the audition, you get, you know, they decide they're going to have you. And then the next thing is that you all meet in a room in Soho around a table and the, the script's there and, you know, pads and pencils and everything else. And, and everybody introduces themselves to each other and then they say, oh, off we go and we read it. And then everybody that was reading it knew right. this was. Because you can read it yourself, that's one thing. But when those other characters come to life, yeah. you know, and of course, but then, you know, one has been in things that you thought were going to be wonderful before. Mm. Exactly. Well, nobody sets nobody out to make something knows. awful. To know, like, <laughs> Everybody no. sets out to make a great big yeah. hit, and often I was, I, was, I was working at the National Theatre, and I was just walking into the stage door, and some guy stopped me in the road, and he said, he pointed at me, he said, "You're in that uh, Stacey Gap Gavin. You're in that, aren't you?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "That is just brilliant," and I thought, "Ooh, that's promising." Mm. And that was the first sign, and then people started to. You get a little phone call from something. We just saw that thing, and because the BBC had been so canny, they'd like to leak. They'd leaked it out slowly. Yes, yeah. they leaked it out on the internet because they knew they needed to build a young audience, and then they put it on three. Then it went to two, and then it went to one. Then it got all the prizes. You know, exactly. Mm. But it was allowed to grow. Very, very yeah. clever. With and that. wasn't you know, it wasn't everybody said you've got to watch this because it's brilliant. No, look, look, and big razzmatazz. No. It was kind of word of mouth. Yeah, somebody told me about it, it. Somebody said to me, "You've got to, it." Was that thing. Yeah. You've got to watch That's this. That's it. And was it from that that EastEnders had? Because was it other part? way round? Was the other way but that round? Was, that, was a, that was the thing. What if? Yes. What if it had been? Because basically, what happened is in the year before, like well, that would have been seven, like two seven, I suppose six or seven. I'm yeah. the date six seven. I got the call to go and talk to the guy that was running um, um, Diedrich Center. His name was is. And uh, I got the call to go and talk to him about, you know, playing opposite Barbara Windsor. Because mm, she wanted you. Yeah, she did. Mm. She did. I'm having him. Because uh, she had a <laughs> you great big list. No, no, she, she had a, a list. I said, I had a big list. Like, and you would say, you're at the top. That's it. I don't want anybody else. <laughs> so I was on. And then the weird thing was... You know, I've got see, I've got this around the wrong way. It was the fact that I did Gavin and Stacey first, right? Yes. But what happened is that normally when you do sort of tryout things like a comedy thing, they'll write a contract where you are sort of tied in that if it goes on, you go on with it. Right. But for mm -hmm. some reason, they didn't do that. So when EastEnders came along, the first thing EastEnders want to know is, are you committed to anything else? Because ah. they don't share anybody. No, of course. Right? And the hours are crazy anyway. Right? So you couldn't do anything no. else. No, and they just said, no, he's not invited. Like, ah, I wasn't tied to right, Gavin right. and Stacey. And then all of a sudden it hit. And the next thing we know, it's like, 
they're going to be doing another series. And I thought, well, in the old days, I would have had to make a choice. You wouldn't have been able to do the two. Mm. But Jay Hunt, who was running the BBC then, had been like Gavin and Stacey had been her little special little thing. Ah. She's the one that had gentled it along. Right. And she said, he's going to do both. Oh, lovely. So I'm afraid what you're going to have to do is sort the schedules out. <laughs> and so that's what they did. Fantastic. Yeah. But did that mean you were doing both at the same doing time? Doing both at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. That must have been Yeah, but I mean, you say what they were doing, it just so, it, you're doing EastEnders like all year long uh-huh. and then Gavin and Stacey comes in and that's like six weeks, they've got a slot, six weeks of you filming in Cardiff right. in with the schedule for EastEnders. Oh. Okay. So that you can do both, but one's in Cardiff and one's in one's in London. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been yeah, crazy. It was. It was. Absolutely. It do you have any like favourite memories from the sets of but, um, Gavin and Stacey? To be perfectly honest with you, when you've done all of those episodes and all those, you know, that number of episodes together, all mixed in with what's going on mm. at EastEnders, it all becomes this kind of amazing blur you know i'm sure there were things that were really funny in there and like but what you remember is the relentless relentless work of doing comedy on on screen mm. i mean doing eastenders is just a piece of a piece of cake compared with doing really? comedy yeah it's, uh, well because but, you know like it's a different medium altogether because you're doing multi-camera stuff in a studio with eastenders and when you're doing comedy, comedy is a different vibe altogether because the comedy has got to be right. It's the timing, right? EastEnders, yeah. a lot of the time, you, you one or two goes at a scene and you'll have it, right? You you do six, seven, eight, nine, nine goes at doing a scene. And then you'll have to do it from every different person's point of view. And oh. so like, if there are 10 of you in the room... By the time you've had like four or five goes at every person's point of view, you will have spent, you know, 12 hours working on one of those famous oh, wow. scenes, you nice. know, like where everybody's ordering, uh, ordering, Indian, yeah, yeah. ordering Indian food, <laughs> right? Well, that, that went on to the point where I think everybody that ran out of that room screaming. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, because you've got to do it over and over again because it's got to be... The reason it works so well is because the way they cut the thing together. Mm-hmm. Whereas when they do EastEnders, it's, you know, it can be violent. It can be really, you know, super energized and whatever else. But they're covering it with five or six cameras. And so you do it twice. You've got it all. That's it done. Whereas you'll do, an, like Gavin and Stacey scene, 60 times. Yeah, to get it from all the To get it right. Yeah. Gosh, it's hard. Comedy is it's, hard. Comedy's hard. Mm. Oh, yeah. Comedy is really, really hard. No comparison, you know. In all honesty, I mean, we used to have a lot more laughs doing EastEnders than we did in Gavin Stacey. Because <laughs> <laughs> most time people are sort of like threatening Mardapolis and, uh, and they're all like having hysterics in the corner. Like. God, that's funny. But you're, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Now, look, I can't understand this, obviously, um, you know, but you have worked with your child. I have worked with my child, yeah, I have. It's actually really good fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not sure if Rosie thinks the same. Yeah. I do, I do. Yeah, I don't. It's great. You I worked with it. your boy. I loved yeah. it. I just loved it. I so miss doing that stuff. But, 
you know, it's like it was a, it was just a, a lovely, a lovely period of our lives, yeah. and we did a lot of great stuff. We went on a, you know, a bunch of trips together, privately and professionally. It went must have been lovely for you and George to have that time together. Oh, yeah. You know, just to have that time, yeah. just getting to know each oh, other. Yeah, I mean, I know you did. know your children. Yeah, but you know well, you do, you do. But like getting to know your child as an adult. Yes. Yes, and for your, ch- your adult child to get to know you as a fellow adult, mm-hmm. that's what's important, you know. And we would, you know, he was like George's, is like his mum, who's from where you're from. Like she's no pushover, and neither <laughs> is he. And it's like you would definitely be pulled up, Dad. Like, you know, you're acting here. Like, just <laughs> talk straight, okay? <laughs> Don't start putting on an act. You know, he's very, he's tough. Yeah. But God, we laughed. <laughs> we, I was watching some highlights of uh, you on I'm a Celeb, and um, oh, that was yeah. four years ago. I can't believe that was four five. years ago. Was it five years ago five. now? Yeah, it's five. It was oh, 16. Gosh. It was November 16. Wow. So, you uh, know. Well, I keep forgetting what yeah. year I'm in. Cause yeah, past, 21. So do I. Past year is sort of. Oh, no. It's like it didn't happen. Gone. It didn't happen. Yeah, we've lost a year. Oh, no, lost yeah. a year. More than a year of our And lives. we're watching the 2020 Olympics. In 2021. Yeah. Exactly. I'm all confused. I'm all over. That's and it. the 2020 Euros. There you go. It's all, it. it's all very strange. Um, what made you want to go on that show? It had always been a big point of discussion between me and my girls and their mum and how they would always say, like, you could not do that. In the end, I was asked to do it and I thought, well, why not? Mm. Why not? Yeah. You know, why not? I liked it. You were good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. You could tell. And you could it. tell that you that's all you were there for was to enjoy yourself. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. there are there are people that come in and they, they have do you think, Rose? They've yeah, got they've, they've got an agenda, haven't yeah. they? And yeah. um, they want they want it to maybe boost their career or or they want to get into a particular area or whatever. You were just there chilling. Camping and camping. <laughs> I love it. You were like lighting fires and cooking on a fire. You, you, you were kidding? They loved it. That's and, it. But it was great. And Especially you were just... with a load of people. They didn't even have a light, they didn't even have a, light a fire, let alone no, cook on one. No, that no. must have been very interesting. Yeah. But a lot of people say it gets a bit a bit boring in the sense that you don't have books to read, you don't have things to mm. do. You know, that's hard. You know what? That's the interesting thing. As mm. somebody who reads and writes all yes. the time, I was never, ever, ever bored. Right. Ever once. Mm. Really odd. That's so Because that's your thing, isn't it, Mum? You wouldn't want to do any of this. I've just, yeah, I, I, I would just be worried I got bored and maybe clashed with other people. Yeah, well, I was yeah. rather lucky. Yeah. There. Yes, mm. you were. I was rather you were. lucky. You were. There were a lot of very, very nice people. There were. There that was were a good not year. interested in confrontation. That was a good year. Just, that chatty friend and that that was really noted as it was going along we realised afterwards they were noting the fact that this was different yeah. this this vibe was different this year yeah lovely mm. yeah it was good. so no regrets about doing that oh no 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 I had a great time but you've done so many things has there ever been anything that you've really thought ah I'd love to do that and I've not done it yet but I might win the lottery oh and what would you do if you won Dis- would- disappear <laughs> By an island. <laughs> yep, I would. So we end each episode by yep. getting our guests to tell us their biggest regret, fail and win. Regret, yeah. fail and win. Yeah. My biggest regret is not realising that as you're coming up the ladder, you really do need to be aware of the fact that you are blessed with whatever it is you're doing and you've got to be 
pleasant to people and mm. not throw your weight around mm. because it can all come back and slap you right in the chops later on. But I can't imagine you being like that. Oh, yes. When you were younger. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. oh yes. Oh, yes. Big, too, too big for your boots. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people don't sort of have that self-awareness of, oh, no, I was a bit like that. Yeah. yeah. And we just keep going. So. Yeah. Well, they, maybe they don't. They haven't had a slap in the face yeah. as late in life as I have. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and regrets. Uh, regret fail. Well, huh, I just wrote a novel. I spent four months writing a novel, which I thought, oh, everybody's going to love this. And uh, the next thing I, I get, it's like, oh, it's not really commercial enough. I think you've got to, you know, you've got to take this to pieces and put it back together again. Oh. It's like, writing a novel is one thing when you're not a novelist. Mm. But taking it to pieces and putting it back together again. It's hard. That's very hard, as I'm finding. So that's fail and... That's not, I mean, that's not necessarily a fail because you can go away and you can sort it, I guess, if it's the way that you want it to be. Yeah, but that's the problem. They, they, I do. You it, like it. I do. Yeah, I do. Right. I like okay. it from the point of view that I've taken it from. Yeah. But that's the basic thing that the, the people that I've spoken to think is wrong with it. It's wrong. It's from the wrong point of view. Oh. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm. This just makes me think about J.K. Rowling and how Harry Potter was just that's rejected right. by everyone. It yeah. was. And that's... Yeah. Take it to another person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to tell you the truth, I think that's what I'm going to do. I think that's mm. what you should do. Yeah. And then that will become not a feeler success. But you never know. Yeah. Mm. What about a win? Yeah. yeah. A win without any shadow of a doubt. My kids. That's the best. Yeah. The best mm. one, isn't it? Yeah. Of course. Lovely. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, and you're welcome. It's been a lovely. Joy talking yeah. to you. So yeah, many lovely. what ifs in your life. Oh, I know. So, so many. I know. So interesting. I know. So, so it is interesting. Mm. And we didn't ask you if Gavin Stacey was coming back. No, you didn't. I know. <laughs>